Now, I told you that when we began this series on the book of Romans, uh, that I entitled it Paul's Letter to the 21st Century, and I did so because I suggested to you that there's probably, although all the Bible is relevant, there's probably no more portion of it that's any more relevant for today than the book of Romans, and I've tried to make a case for that as we have gone through it step by step. And now that we have come to chapter 13, I think that you will find that it is very relevant to where we are today. So what I'd like to do is just read the scripture, give you then the title of the message, and then outline these verses for you uh, so that perhaps you might better understand your relationship uh, to the scripture as we read it today. Romans chapter 13, beginning to read in verse 1, where Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, in these first 10 verses, what Paul has done is he has outlined for us the relationship of the Christian and government. We're reading a passage of scripture that at least at one time would have never given a person in this country a moment's cause. We would have read it, said a hearty amen to it, and moved on to the next passage of scripture. But perhaps in those days our problem was that we never tried to read it in its context. Uh, Paul wrote it in the context of the world of his day, not in the world of our day. And so you need to remember that, that when Paul wrote the book of Romans, Rome was not a Christian country, nor was there any other Christian country when, Rome, when Paul wrote these verses. So what do they mean and how do they apply these verses to the Christian living in the 21st century? How do they apply if you are a Christian living in America? How do they apply if you are a Christian living in India? 
How do they apply if you are a Christian living in Russia? How do they apply if you are a Christian living in North Korea? Well, I've outlined this under four headings, and the first one is the existence of governmental authority. That's what Paul does in this passage of Scripture, is he identifies the existence of governmental authority and where that governmental authority comes from. He says, I am subject to subject myself to it. I am to subject myself to the established laws of the state. The Christian is to recognize the place of government wherever that government is. It is a representative of a greater and higher authority. It is a figure, a type, an imperfect figure and a type of a higher authority that is God himself. It exists under God's sovereignty and to a degree the government wherever it exists is an expression of God's own authority over the lives of men. So according to Paul, the good citizen, the best citizen is the one who realizes this and who accepts that the existing government wherever it exists is established by God to provide law and order. Order in society is an expression not just of the rule of law, but of God's own authority. Now, we understand and we know that in some places, the governments that exist are corrupt. There are problems. There, there are abuses. We understand that. We recognize that government itself can be an expression of, of, the, of fallen, sinful society, and we must understand that. But every authority that exists, exists under God's sovereignty. It has its place to maintain order in society, and without that order, there is chaos. That's basically what Paul is saying here. But the second thing we need to talk about is the extent of governmental authority. Just how far does governmental authority do? How much authority has God appointed to these earthly rulers, these powers, uh, these governments? Well, Paul says that God has given them the power of the sword, that means he's given them the power of life and death. So we look at this passage of Scripture, and one of the things that we can ponder for just a moment is how should the Christian stand on the death penalty? Well, I don't know how you stand on the death penalty, but the Bible clearly stands in favor of it when it is exercised by the authority that God has put in place. He gives them the power of the sword. That means the power first uh, to enact war, for the protection of its people, or second, to enact justice for the protection of the people. The purpose of capital punishment in the Bible is always to protect the sanctity of life. And when, when it does not, watch what happens. Life is cheapened in the womb. It is cheapened by the students in school because we have taught them that life is cheap. Look at what's happening in our society. Life is cheapened on the streets when the state does not wield the power of the sword according to the law. There is no restraint to evil of any kind. There's no fear. The sword was an expression of God's authority and was to provoke the fear of judgment. So Paul writes to the people of the great nation of Rome and he told them this. He said... You should, as far as your conscience will allow, subject yourself to the higher powers, 
recognizing that they exist under the sovereignty of God. But if that power should ever ask you to violate your personal commitment to God, you have a higher obligation and you must refuse, you must refuse even if the state with, it, with the power of the sword threatens you with the ultimate penalty. Now, everything I just said, you might have said amen to, but you didn't read it in what Paul just said. You won't find that with just a casual reading of what Paul just said in these verses in the book of Romans. But what I'm telling you today is what I just said, the last thing I just said, is in fact in these verses, and I'm going to show you where. If you'll look at verse 7, we'll look at how verse 7 reads. First, we'll read it as we read it on the screen, which was from the English Standard Version. It read, Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. In the King James Version, the same verses read just a little different. And it says, it reads this way, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Now I want to tell you there that what the King James Version has done is used the literal word that should have been used, the word fear, instead of the word respect. And if you want to see how this word is used, I want to show you, give you a little lesson here. In verse 7, the word fear in verse 7 or respect, depending on which translation you have. By the way, the ESV chooses to translate the word in verse 7 as respect and the same word in verse 3 as terror. The word is the Greek word phobos. What does that matter? It's the word from we get our word from which we get our word phobia and it means to be terrorized by or tremble at, to be afraid. And so what he is essentially saying is there is an order here, there is a priority here. You honor whom you should honor, you fear whom you should fear. Now I want to show you this, I want to put it in the context because you never take one isolated verse of Scripture and say this verse of Scripture means this while other verses just like it mean something else. So we're going to look at them all together and I'm going to show you. First, I want to show you how the same word translated here as fear is used in the 28th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. This refers to when the angel came and rolled the stone away from the tomb. Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, it's Matthew 28, Matthew 28, verse 4. And it says of the guards that the guards were so afraid of him, that angel, that they shook and became like dead men. Literally, it reads, from the fear of him, they trembled. Jesus, using the similar word in Matthew 10, 28, says, Do not be afraid, which means do not be struck with fear or seized with alarm of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There is a hierarchy of who to respect, who to honor, and who to fear. I'm going to show you that, and it's going to be increasing as we go, and you'll see it clearly. There was an occasion when Jesus was asked about 
paying taxes. We all, we just read, pay tax to whom tax is owed. How did Jesus feel about that? Well, on one occasion, someone brought him one of the Roman coins, and they said, should we pay taxes or not? And the Bible says that Jesus said, looking at the coin, whose image is this and whose inscription? And they replied, well, that's Caesar's image on the coin. And so Jesus said, since Caesar's image is on it, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But if you find God's image on something, give that to God. Where would you find God's image? You are made in God's image. You render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You give to God what belongs to God. Perhaps the whole point is made even clearer when we read what Peter wrote using almost the identical words of Paul. And if you'd like to look it up, it's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, where Peter said, Honor all men. He's given you a list. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Do you see the difference? The distinction. Paul uses the same distinction in the 13th chapter. And if we just read it respect, then we've lost the whole point of what Paul was trying to say. Paul said, taxes to whom taxes are due. Fear to whom fear is due. Honor to whom honor is due. Fear God. Honor the king. So let's go back now and, and talk. I'm to subject myself to the higher authorities. That means to the government. I am to honor the king or the leader of my governor, government and the position he's been allowed to hold uh, by God. But I am to tremble before God. I am to shake with fear at what he might do to me should I violate his law. So, should the state, the government, ever come between me and my relationship to God, then I must not obey the state, whether that be my governor or my president. Now hear me clearly, because I'm not just being a subversive, you know, the word I'm trying to say is a rebel here. I'm trying to give you a scriptural picture. In the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, Peter and John were arrested. They were commanded no longer to speak in the name of Jesus. They were warned and then further threatened. And Peter and John stated clearly in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, they said, we must obey God rather than men. The state must never rule over my conscience. When the state dictates that I do something that is a contradiction of the convictions of my conscience, then I must obey my conscience according to the law of God. Now, we have scriptural examples of this. We have an example in the book of Daniel. You remember in the time of Daniel, you had these Hebrew young people who were kidnapped like they've done in Russia, what they've taken... 14,000 children from the Ukraine and imported them into Russia and are indoctrinating them now. That's what they're doing. That's what they did in the time of Daniel. They took these children, the best of the children, they began indoctrinating them in Babylonian culture. And so Daniel grew up indoctrinated, but as you know, he grew up a faithful young man and was true to God. And as he became an adult, and as he got involved in the government, people began to look at him and say, you know what the problem with him is, this guy? Three times every day he opens his windows toward Jerusalem and prays, and we don't like that. 
So we're going to go to the king and we're going to get the king to pass a law to stop him from doing that that says it's illegal. We don't like it. It's illegal. It's got to be illegal for him to do that. They passed the law and what did Daniel do? He did what he'd done every day. Every day, three times a day, he opened his windows and he prayed toward Jerusalem. And they arrested him and they put him in the lion's den. Daniel did not obey the law of the government for which he worked because he had a higher commitment, and that was the commitment to God. You have three young Hebrew men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were excelling. They were good, fine citizens. Christians are the best citizens of any country because they're going to obey God. They're going to do the right thing in every case. And so they had this statue erected they had the king erect a statue and said what you need to do is you need to pass a law that when anybody sees this statue go by or when they hear the sound of the the trumpet wherever the, the statue was actually in one place it was erected so everybody could see it and so they had musical instruments played and when the musical instruments are played immediately everybody is to bow down and worship this image that you've set up on the plain of Jura out here and so the king did that and had the image set up and had the musical instruments played. And when everybody fell down in worship, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did not. And they wound up, I, saw, I think I said Daniel wound up in the fiery furnace, but it was Daniel who wound up in the lion's den and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego wound up in the fiery furnace because they obeyed the convictions of their conscience and the law of their God rather than the law of their government. So did Paul mean that I should be subject to the government in every case? No, because Paul himself was often imprisoned and beaten and persecuted in various ways and ultimately succumbed to the power of the sword because he refused to bow to anything or any authority that asked him to do other than God had clearly commanded him. Number three, or finally, I guess, we need to talk about the one, the one who exceeds all earthly authority. That was the exception. Now we talk about the one who exceeds all earthly authority. Perhaps you've been following the story of James Rimmer. I think I've got his name right. He is a professional hockey player. He's the goalie for the San Jose Sharks, a professional hockey team. They were going to have a pride night to celebrate and affirm a lifestyle that the Bible clearly condemns. And as part of the celebration, they ask all their players to wear a special jersey in support of that behavior, and he politely refused. Here is his response. He said, Under the umbrella of the National Hockey League's Hockey is for Everyone initiative, the San Jose Sharks have chosen to wear jerseys in support of the LGBTQIA community tonight. For all 13 years of my NHL career, I have been a Christian, not just in title, but in how I choose to live my life daily. I have a personal faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins and, in response, asked me to love everyone and follow him. I have no hate in my heart for anyone, and I have always strived to treat everyone that I encounter with respect and kindness. In this specific instance, I am choosing not to endorse something that is counter to my personal convictions, which are based on the Bible, the highest authority in my life, dated March 18th of this year. He clearly put himself at some degree of retribution, 
even the possibility of losing his job, but chose to fear God rather than men. Just this month, a Methodist college in the United Kingdom fired a Christian theologian and threatened to report him as a terrorist because of an answer he gave in a tweet on what the Bible teaches about homosexuality. Dr. Aaron Edwards, who taught theology at Cliff College in Derbyshire, England, was dismissed from the school after being accused of bringing the college into disrepute. And this is what he said. Homosexuality is invading the church. He said evangelicals no longer see the severity of this because they're busy apologizing for their apparently barbaric homophobia, whether or not it is true. This is a gospel issue, by the way. If sin is no longer sin, we no longer need a savior. He said, this is the conservative view. The acceptance of homosexuality is as not sinful, is an invasion upon the church doctrinally. This is not controversial. The acceptance is controversial. Most of the global church would agree. And so, again, he tried to affirm the fact that he was just answering someone who gave him the opportunity to say, what do you think the Bible teaches on this issue? So, also, one of the things that we need to do in our own community is celebrate the courage of our Methodist brothers across the way who stood with God against the opinion of their own denomination. They, choose, they chose to stand on the right side of God. Might we always so choose who claim to be servants of the Most High God and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He exceeds all other authority in our lives. He is to rule our conscience. Listen to what the Bible says, Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 1 about Jesus who was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head over, head over, head over everything to the church. It's right here in the Bible, Ephesians 1, verse 22. Jesus is head over everything. Not Joe. Jesus is head over everything to the church. Nobody is head over everything to the church. Not the pastor. Jesus is. And then in Colossians, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So I am never to capitulate to governmental authority when it violates what the word of God, as I, under, as I read it and as I understand it, what the word of God says to me about how I am to live my life in matters of conscience. I have no king but Jesus. That is the standard for every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is unequivocally the truth of the word of God. Now, you have to choose, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm sure there were other nice Hebrew children there that day who bowed, but they didn't. 
I'm sure there were other people who didn't pray when they were told not to pray, but Daniel never stopped praying. Daniel was true to his commitment to God, and you must be true to your commitment to God because the Bible says, the Bible says that one day every knee will bow. The little rocket man in North Korea, little Putin in Russia, Joe in the United States, and every other person, who, whatever their name is, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What about your knee? Have you bowed your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your heart to him? Have you said, Jesus, you are my king your amazing love, you died for me, you, you have forgiven me through your death on the cross, and I must celebrate that by giving you my life. I must render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. That's the, I have to pay taxes. I may not like it, but you've called me, according to the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, to present my body as a living sacrifice to you. And I want to submit myself to you, to your leadership, and your lordship. That's a decision that you will either make, or it is a confession you will make when you don't have a choice. Let's pray.